Did you know that you can listen to every single episode of Gangry the Podcast on our website? Just go to gangrythepodcast.com and you can listen to interviews with amazing writers and reporters like Pamela Koloff, David Gran, Janet Reitman, Tom Juno, Eli Saslow, Ben Montgomery, Landa Gregory, and so many more. Just go to gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, thepodcast.com. Welcome to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tulls. We've got a really different type of episode for you today. So far, all 71 episodes of Gangry the Podcast that have preceded this one were straight-up interviews. This one's going to be different. I've got a story for you today. You see, I just wrote a piece for Neiman Storyboard that really looked in some ways, at a story I would include in the canon of moving, heartbreaking narrative journalism. I'm talking about Eli Saslow's Into the Lonely Quiet, which focused on one Sandy Hook family just about seven months after the shooting. Ever since I started this podcast, I've been obsessed with how reporters get their subjects to open up and talk about the worst moments of their lives. But then I moved to Newtown, in 2016. Why my wife and I chose Newtown could be the focus of another story some other time, but once I settled into my new life, I found myself reading Saslow's story and others like it differently. I found myself thinking less about how the reporter got the subjects to open up, and more about the subjects and why they would agree to let a reporter and a photographer or a cameraman follow them around for an extended period of time, forcing them sometimes to continue living in the worst moment of their lives. So I talked to Mark Barton. He's the focus of Saslow's story. And I talked to Nicole Hockley, who also lost a son at Sandy Hook. And I talked to Eli. In so many ways, this ends up being a story about what reporters need to be thinking about before they approach a story subject who has just gone through something horrifically tragic. But really, it's something every reporter should think about before they approach every single person they ever talk to. Stick with us. This is Gangry the Podcast. Gangry the Podcast is brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Fairfield University, which grounds students in the 500-year-old Jesuit tradition of academic rigor and personal reflection while providing them with the critical skills needed to succeed in work and life. Students work with passionate faculty and have the chance to study abroad, participate in civic engagement, and conduct hands-on research across a variety of disciplines. It's also brought to you by the Department of English at Fairfield University, which is home to the digital journalism major, as well as an English major with concentrations in literature, creative writing, professional writing, and teacher education. For more information on the College of Arts and Sciences and the Department of English, go to fairfield.edu. Hello. Hi, Nick. This is Matt. Hello, Mark. Hello, Matt. Hello, Nick. Hello, Matt. 
The voices you hear belong to Mark Barden and Nicole Hockley. They're the founders and managing directors of Sandy Hook Promise. Mark's son Daniel and Nicole's son Dylan were two of the 20 first graders killed on December 14th, 2012 in their elementary school. This is actually the second time that I talked with Mark and Nicole. The first time we met face-to-face in the Sandy Hook Promise offices, and I set my phone up to record. When I got home, though, after that talk, I went to listen to the recording, and it was, well, corrupted. Thanks a lot for doing this again. I'm so, so sorry that um, that it's happened to me once or twice before as a reporter so um but thank you uh, i appreciate it mark barden and his family his wife jackie his son james his daughter natalie were the focus of into the lonely quiet that was a story that eli saslow wrote for the washington post it was published in june of 2013 almost exactly six months after the shooting That story has always been a hard one to read. It opens up with the Barden family trying to find a photo of Daniel that could be used in a Mother's Day-related publication. There's also a moment in the story where Mark and Jackie go to a diner and end up seeing another mother and her first-grade son having a birthday breakfast. That boy had also been at Sandy Hook but was in the other classroom. It's an utterly heartbreaking scene. And Saslow follows the Bardens to Washington, D.C. and Delaware as they try and convince legislators to stand up to the NRA. I couldn't read the story when it first came out. I had a son who was in the third grade and a daughter who was in kindergarten at the time. It was just too overwhelming for me to read about families like the Bardens. But eventually, I read the entire piece and was in awe of the work that Saslow did. I spent a long time wondering how he could do that type of work, how he could get the Bardens to open up, how he could get them to let him follow them around, how he could write so many heartbreaking words. But then I moved to Newtown in 2016, and I started reading the piece differently. It was no easier to read, that's for sure. But I found that I wasn't thinking about Saslow and what he did as a reporter. No, I was thinking about the Barden family and how they could put themselves out there like they did. It hadn't even been half a year since their Daniel had been taken from them, and they opened their lives up wide open. What do you remember about the days when Eli was with you and your family? Uh, you know, I, re- I remember him, I remember being, uh, feeling very comfortable with him. Again, that's Mark Barden. I remember he was uh, approachable and accessible. I know that Natalie really bonded with him and felt comfortable. James did as well. Um, I remember him being out with Natalie and her little friends at the end of the driveway when they were doing a lemonade stand. Before they let Saslow into the house, though, the Barden family had a discussion. We approached every 
every media request with that same kind of vetting process. Like, mm-hmm. is this person going to do uh, do justice to this story? Are they going to tell it in a way that will hopefully motivate and inspire people to take next steps to do something about this in whatever way that means to them? The family also leaned on the recommendations of a public relations professional who vouched for Saslow. But even then, what Eli was asking to do was far different from what other reporters had asked. Eli wanted to spend 12 hours a day with the family for five or six days, and that was just to get things started. I guess, like I said, you know, when we made the decision to do that, and these decisions don't come lightly, we sit down as a family and we talk about it and we discuss it and we uh, try to predict what some of the potential, you know, issues that could come up might be and all of that. And, we, you know, we've, d- we've done this. I, I, I guess it was after that that we did, we did some of the documentary stuff where mm-hmm. there was, you know, a, a film crew uh, with the camera in your face while you're making your morning coffee. He's talking about the documentary Newtown, which looks at how the community came together in the aftermath of the shooting. It was for us, it was a, it was a very well thought out, deliberate decision. Like, okay, you just have to have to do this. And Mm -hmm. the kids had to be part of it, too, if they're going to be in our house with us. The result was a story that was incredibly sad and, for some, hard to read. Nicole Hockley, remember, she was in on the phone conversation that I had with Mark, thought the piece was too sad. I just felt it it didn't depict Mark and his family and, and the loving and supporting network that they have. Nicole is the first Sandy Hook parent for lack of a better description, that I got to know once I moved to Newtown. I got to know her when I participated in a 200-mile relay running race that raised money for Dylan's Wings of Change, the nonprofit organization formed in the memory of her son. Nicole was a member of the team that I was on. I'm doing that race and the fundraising again this spring. The one thing that bothered her about Saslow's piece was the fact that it didn't give any sense of hope. It was a very sad piece. And, you know, what what I know of Mark and his family and, and promise with the whole, you know, taking our tragedy and transforming it into something positive, I, I had wanted something that gives people, you know, taking them through that, that loop of despair, but then bringing them out the other side about, and this is, this is how you can avoid being like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it just kind of left people left people hanging. So that's why I wasn't, um, it was beautifully, beautifully written, but I thought it, it was too, it, it was very despairing. The reason the story reads in a despairing way is because that's how Saslow felt after spending time in Newtown and with the Bardens. He watched them, but he also watched what was or wasn't happening in Washington, D.C. Right. I mean, our job in writing is, is, uh, is, is to not have the message be controlled. That is the Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter, Eli Saslow. So, like, go in and see things for what they are and, 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 and sit in them for as long as we can and then write about them in the ways that feel true in an observed way. Um, so but it's, really, it's really complicated. I would never in a million years uh, think that, like, Mark or, or Jackie or Nicole or anybody... Like if if that story, if a story that bare and raw was about if if that if that story were about my kid, would I would I like the story? I mean, I couldn't bear to read it. I guess I would also say it doesn't necessarily surprise me that it felt like it was, um, 
you know, that it, that it felt like it, it was, uh, there wasn't enough, um, there wasn't enough hope, I guess. But, but, uh, I also have to say that I, I think, um, there, there has not been a lot of hope, uh, or, or a lot of movement on that issue. And, and, um, and I'm not necessarily sure, particularly in that moment, like the, I was not, I, it didn't seem to me like the story I was trying to write, uh, was going to leave the reader in a hopeful place. It, it was, um, what was happening was not hopeful. This is, I think, what makes the Barden family, and really any story subject, who has been through something even half as devastating as what Sandy Hook families went through, so special. Especially when they're working with someone like Saslow or TV reporters who are going to record the interviews and then go into an edit bay and cut up all their sound bites. Hell, even a podcaster like myself. They put themselves out there because they've got a message they want to get across to the American people. And they're willing to take a chance. A chance that involves their reliving the worst days of their lives to get that message out. This is from Eli. I mean, the risks, and this is true with that story and true with almost every story that any of us write, like the real risks and the real sacrifices are, are taken by the people that we're writing about. I mean, it's, um, you know, because really like what, you know, what, what I was asking of the Bardens uh, was to be vulnerable. Like it's, it's a super scary thing to, 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 uh, allow a reporter into your life with knowing that like you are going to have no, no say over the outcome. You're not going to, you're not going to know what, what the story is until you read it in, in the newspaper at the same time as everybody else. And, and to sort of decide that you are going to, you know, make the choice to trust enough to let that happen um, is like a, a pretty profound risk, I think. Um, yeah, and, and I think the, the, I would guess that the reason that most people do it is because they also understand that what they're dealing with, what they're going through is important in some way and, and is, is worthy of being seen and felt by, by people outside of that house. Um, you know, but, but to be willing to sort of uh, make yourself that vulnerable and to sort of like, you know, bear that, that, that pain and that hurt uh, to a stranger who's, who's going to be in your house for, 12 hours a day. Um, you know, that's, that's a really, uh, it's a really courageous thing to do. Honestly, it's, it's not, it's not, uh, that's not easy. Which is why Mark Barden and Nicole Hockley and other families prefer doing live television above all else. They can control the narrative there. Here's Nicole on that. Definitely with broadcast wherever possible. I love doing live. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, you can mess it up dramatically, but it's also, um, you know, you're not going to have your words twisted or, you know, do a, an hour-long taped interview sometimes or, or, or a written interview, uh, print interview, and you end up being a sound bite um, and just about what is – because sometimes, sometimes, sometimes journalists already have the story written in their head. They have an agenda, and they're looking for you to say the things that fit that story – that is not something they felt about Saslow and his story. And even though they thought it was missing a little bit of the hope they had hoped would show up in the print piece, Mark Barden still feels the story got across a very important point. Uh, but but I, 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 I legitimately felt that he just wanted to, to be there and see what this looks like. How, do, how does uh, 
an ordinary American family who has been visited with such horrible tragedy uh, manage this and cope with this on just a regular day-to-day that people can relate to? And that's where we saw the real value on in that is that it's kind of this un, unsaid uh, message of here it is. This could be you. Thanks so much to Mark Barden and Nicole Hockley for talking to me, not once, but twice. And sorry again about the faulty phone recording. And thanks to Eli Saslow for also talking with me about this story. You can listen to Eli talk about his Pulitzer Prize winning series on food stamps in America on episode 26 of Gangry the Podcast by going to our website. That's at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Gangry is spelled G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. Also thanks to Neiman Storyboard and Jackie Banashinsky. This started out as a written piece that I was doing for the website. You can find that written version over at neimanstoryboard.org. Stay up to date with the podcast by following us on Twitter. That's at Gangry Podcast. Gangry is spelled G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. You can also like the podcast on Facebook. You can subscribe to Gangry the Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any Google Play app. Just search Gangry. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y podcast. Gangry the Podcast is produced in Donnarumma Studios at Fairfield University. It's made possible by the College of Arts and Sciences and the Department of English at Fairfield U. Our music comes from Audionautics. The promos and sponsorship messages were voiced by Mimi Lachlan and Gracie Eldrenkamp. This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly. I'm Matt Tullis. Thanks for joining us.